Turn with me tonight in God's holy word to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7, we'll read the entire chapter, and it is the chapter as a whole. That is my text for tonight. The word of God at Daniel 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. <clears throat> After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the beasts, ach, and the books were opened. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given 
to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast, shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume 
and to destroy it unto the end and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. There ends our reading of the word of God tonight. With this seventh chapter of the book of Daniel, the second of the two main sections of the prophecy of Daniel begins. These last six chapters are quite different from the first six chapters. The first six chapters are largely historical narrative. The history of Daniel and his three friends after they were taken into captivity into Babylon. The second half of Daniel, chapters 7 through 12, is prophetic and visionary. The first six chapters record the conflict between God's people and the wicked world as that conflict manifested itself historically between the true Israel of God and the anti-Christian world power of Babylon. Now we are, so to speak, taken behind the scenes. Now we are given a unique perspective on the history that is recorded in the first six chapters. Now we are given to see a deeper conflict than the conflict between Christ church and the world. For the greater conflict is the conflict between Jesus Christ himself and Satan. And it is that greater conflict that is on the foreground in our text for tonight. We're introduced now to the world of apocalypse, the world of visions and symbols and figures, beasts and monsters, 
in many respects, this second half of the prophecy of Daniel resembles the New Testament book of Revelation. And in fact, we will have opportunity tonight to look at the book of Revelation, particularly the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. Although the character of these last six chapters of the book of Daniel is quite different, the theme of the second half of Daniel is exactly the same as the theme of the first half. They're united, these two halves, as the two halves of one whole. The great theme of the book of, Revel, of, the book of Daniel is the triumph of the kingdom of God over the kingdoms of this world the triumph of the people of God over the Antichrist and his minions. This great theme that underscores the sovereign rule of our God and of his Christ stands at the foreground of the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel 7, Daniel goes back some years to the history of the first year of the reign of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. The opening verse of the chapter In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Belshazzar, you may recall, was the grandson and successor of Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 5 recorded his overthrow and the overthrow of the Babylonian kingdom by Darius the Mede. You will recall the mysterious handwriting that appeared on the wall that Belshazzar was unable to interpret. Daniel was summoned, and Daniel gave the interpretation. Belshazzar's kingdom was weighed and found wanting. And that very night, Belshazzar was killed and the Babylonian kingdom was conquered and replaced by the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. But early in the reign of Belshazzar, Daniel, who had interpreted the dreams of others, himself had a dream 
That's the text for tonight. In this dream, God revealed to Daniel both the course of history and the plans that God had in store for the world until the very end of history. We're given in this seventh chapter a bird's eye view of the history of the entire world, a broad overview of everything that is going to happen until the very end of the world. In the four beasts that arise out of the sea, the outstanding feature of that whole history is set before Daniel and before us. The development and the rise to power of the Antichrist. Consider with me tonight the vision of the beasts out of the sea. Let's notice, first of all, the identity of these beasts. Secondly, the bloodthirsty character of these beasts. And then finally, the ultimate destruction of these beasts. In the first year of the reign of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. In that vision, Daniel beheld the four winds of heaven striving, blowing tumultuously upon the great sea that is the Mediterranean Sea. The result of that striving of the four winds was that four great beasts, each of them different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first beast was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. As Daniel looked, The eagle's wings were plucked and the beast was lifted up off the earth and made to stand upon its feet as a man. And a man's heart was given to the beast. The second beast was like a bear. As Daniel beheld this Second beast, it raised itself up on its hind legs. And the bear could be seen to have ribs, three rib bones in its mouth between its teeth. To this beast, the command was given, arise, devour. Much flesh. 
The third beast was like a leopard. On its back were four wings. And the beast also had four heads. And dominion was given unto it. And then, that fourth beast. A beast so dreadful, so exceedingly strong, hideous, really to look upon, that it was like no other beast. This beast isn't compared to any other known beast, lion, bear, or leopard. It is entirely unique. That's seen from the fact that it has iron teeth and it has claws, talons of brass. With its feet, it devoured and it broke in pieces and it stamped to powder. The outstanding feature of this fourth beast was that it had ten horns upon its head. And while Daniel beheld this beast, there came up another little horn, little in its beginning at least. That other little horn that supplanted three of the original horns, which were plucked up by the roots. This little horn was entirely unique, for it was a horn that had eyes, the eyes of a man, and a mouth. A mouth that spoke great things. Verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Verse 11. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Daniel is given the broad lines of the interpretation of this vision. He's given the interpretation by an angel who is sent from God to Daniel. That interpretation we read in verses 16 and 17. I came near unto one of them that stood by, and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me, 
and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. Four great kings that shall arise out of the earth. The four beasts represent four successive kings that by turn arise out of the earth. Analysis of Daniel's vision shows that the four kingdoms that are represented by the four beasts are exactly the same four kingdoms that were represented earlier in the book. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the great image in Daniel 2, the image with of gold, breast and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, and feet part of iron and part of clay. The image that was destroyed by the stone cut out of the mountain by no human hand, which stone represented the Lord Jesus Christ. These four kings and their kingdoms are the last and the greatest Old Testament manifestations of the kingdom of the Antichrist. That's what they represent. The first beast, the lion with eagle's wings, represents the Babylonian world power. The world power that had taken Judah into captivity and had destroyed Jerusalem and the temple of God. It was the kingdom at the head of which was Nebuchadnezzar. And he's represented, too, in the vision by the plucking of his feathers, which represents the time that he was driven as a beast out of civilization, out of Babylon's palace, and lived for a time as a beast of the field. The second beast, the bear, with those ribs in its mouth, represents the Medo-Persian kingdom that supplanted the Babylonian kingdom. The great king of the Medes and Persians, Darius, Darius the Great. The third beast, the leopard, with four wings on its back represents the Greek kingdom. The kingdom that was established by Alexander 
the great, the four heads undoubtedly represent the division of the Greek kingdom, the hastily built Greek kingdom at the sudden death of Alexander the Great when his Greek kingdom was divided among his four generals. And then the fourth beast. The unnamed beast. The beast that really is unlike any beast in creation. Even the most vicious carnivore. This beast had iron teeth, brass claws, ten horns, representing the kingdom of Rome, historically. The last kingdom of the Old Testament, that is the last into Christian world power, the kingdom of the Caesars. What we must emphasize, and what is important to see, is that the perspective of Daniel's vision in this seventh chapter is not limited to the historical kingdoms represented in his vision. But the perspective is much broader than that. We mustn't limit the prophecy of Daniel 7 merely to the four historical kingdoms that were able to identify the kings and the kingdoms over which they rule. This is evident from verse 12 as concerning the rest of the beasts. They had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and Time. Their lives were prolonged. That's specifically stated about these first three beasts. Yes, their dominion was taken away. That's historically true. Nevertheless, the spirit of those kingdoms lived on and survived the overthrow of the kingdoms themselves. Besides the reference to and the description of the great judgment day, the judgment of the ancient of days indicates that we must 
see in this chapter something that applies to the entire New Testament dispensation and that takes us to the very end of time and the final great judgment in which every human being will stand. That's the perspective. What is sketched for us, therefore, in Daniel 7 has a double, a double prophetic fulfillment. The first fulfillment is in those historical kingdoms at the end of the Old Testament, but that's only the first fulfillment. There is another, a second, an ultimate fulfillment. And that ultimate fulfillment takes us to the very end, not just of the Old Testament, but of the New Testament, the very end of time and the rise of Antichrist and the establishment of the kingdom of Antichrist. That's ultimately what is pictured in Daniel chapter 7. That's especially the thing that causes Daniel to be so greatly troubled as we learn from the last verse of the chapter. It's that especially that caused his countenance to change. What is represented to us by the four beasts, and especially by that last beast and the little horn that grows up out of that last beast is the historical development of Antichrist. The culmination of all the manifestations of Antichrist in the Antichrist himself. That's Daniel 7. But these beasts represent the Antichrist is plain from a comparison of Daniel's vision to the vision of the Antichrist that is recorded in Revelation chapter 13, the parallel between them is obvious when you read the opening verses of Revelation 13. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Now there's only one beast here. Not four, but notice the combination 
of the beasts of Daniel 7. I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and his horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, that's Satan, the great red dragon, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. In this connection, we must pay careful attention to the last beast, the fourth beast in Daniel's vision, the especially hideous beast, the beast, the truth of which Daniel is especially concerned to know. Verse 19, then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse, different from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. The chapter itself repeatedly distinguishes this fourth beast from the other three. The fourth beast is indescribable, really. He is unidentifiable. There's no beast in human experience that this beast can be compared to. No lion, no leopard, no bear. No whatever else. It's entirely unique. The fourth beast is especially dreadful. And his nails of brass and his teeth of iron. There's no beast that has claws or talons of brass or teeth of iron. The fourth beast has horns, ten horns. What beast in creation has ten horns? And then a little horn that grows up, that supplants, that uproots three of the other ten. You've already identified this fourth beast, with Rome, the last of the historical manifestations of Antichrist that really bridges the Old Testament and the New Testament. This was the world power at the time that our Lord Jesus, the Christ, was born. But this beast represents far more 
than just Rome and the Caesars. Especially significant is that little horn. From everything we're told about the little horn in this chapter, there's only one conclusion that we can come to. That little horn is Antichrist. The little horn represents not a historical manifestation of Antichrist, not a Caesar, not a Nebuchadnezzar or a Darius, but it represents the Antichrist, the future, the coming Antichrist. This is plain, first of all, from the fact that this beast, the beast on which this little horn grows up, is the last of the beasts. There are no more beasts that come up out of the sea. In the second place, this is plain from what we read in verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things, which is really repeated in verse 20. And before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. A mouth speaking great things. That's Antichrist. That's the posture that Antichrist takes and is going to take in the third place. That this is Antichrist is plain from what we read in verse 25. And he shall speak great words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. And then finally, that this is Antichrist is plain from the duration of the reign of this little horn. Now that's indicated to us at the end of verse 25. Time, one time, time in the singular, and times add two more times, times in the plural, and the dividing of time, half a time, three and a half. Three and a half years, which symbolically in Scripture stands for one half of the history of the world, the complete history of the world represented by seven. 
three and a half. That brings us to the end of history. And the one who reigns at the end when Christ comes again, who is Antichrist. Now that time, times, and the dividing of time, three and a half years, corresponds precisely to what we read of the reign of Antichrist in Revelation 13, verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months, if you do the math. Three and a half years is exactly 42 months. Three years, 36 months, and then add the six. 42 months. So that the reign of that last beast of Daniel 7 is exactly the same as the reign of the Antichrist pictured in Revelation 13. From the description of these beasts, and especially from the description of the last beast, we learn that the outstanding characteristic of these beasts and of that last beast is that they are bloodthirsty. Literally, thirsty for blood. Thirsty for the blood of the saints. Now, there are other things about this beast that lead us to identify that last beast with Antichrist. For example, the passage teaches that his rule will be a universal rule over all the kingdoms of the world. It also indicates to us that Antichrist will be a religious entity. He will arise in the area, in the arena of religion. He will manifest himself as an opponent of Jesus Christ. He will not only, however, be a religious entity, he will be outstandingly a political entity. He reigns. Power, earthly power, is given to him. And that's Antichrist. That's the beast of Daniel chapter 7. The fourth beast has horns. What are horns? The horns of an animal for. They are, it's weapons, both of defense, but especially of offense. By those horns, it engages its enemies. It gores and it kills. The angel who explains the beasts to Daniel explains them as kings and kingdoms, that is, political powers, verses 17 and 24. 
as far as this political power is concerned. It's worldwide. It's over all the nations. The extent of the reign of the beast is all the earth. That's verse 23. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverted from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. The goal of so many today will finally be achieved, a one-world government. A one-world government that has complete control over economics, politics, education, science, medicine, home, and family, who will control buying and selling, all of commerce and trade. He will possess the power to slay anybody who dares to oppose him and who will not submit to his reign. That's political power. In the second place, it's made plain to us that Antichrist will be a single individual man. I don't need to dwell on that. But he will be a man, a male, an individual not merely in organization. That was true of the historical manifestations of Antichrist in the kingdoms represented in the vision, a Nebuchadnezzar, a Darius, a Caesar. One individual, it speaks in the passage of the beast, and scripture in the New Testament speaks of the man of sin. In the third place, He will claim for himself divine power. He will claim for himself all power. That's divine power. Only God has all power. And that's what he will claim for himself. And in that capacity, he will set aside the law of God. God's commandments. He will think to change times and laws, the passage says. That's what Antichrist will do. His law will be law, not the law of God anymore. Even the most fundamental laws of God built into the very nature of the creation. As, for example, the distinction between males and females. He will attempt to change. He will claim for himself The very power of God. God is not God, he will say. I am God. God is not to be worshipped. I am to be worshipped. God is not your Savior. I am your Savior. God's word is not to be honored and obeyed. My word and my will. You are not to seek God's heavenly kingdom. You are to seek my earthly kingdom. But. The outstanding character of these beasts and of that last beast is that they are bloodthirsty and they're thirsty for the blood of the saints. That's the outstanding characteristic of him. His opposition to the church and to the people of God. That's verse 
21, I beheld, and the same horn made war against the saints and prevailed, prevailed against them from every outward point of view. It will appear as though he has prevailed. He hasn't actually, but it will appear so. Verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. That's the people of God. That's why he's represented as a beast, a ravenous, carnivorous beast. He isn't a nice puppy dog to pet or a kitten to play with. He's a beast. He destroys. He's an aggressor. He gobbles up peoples and nations. He sheds blood without any remorse. He will put Putin, bloodthirsty Putin, to shame. I mean, of course, from an earthly point of view. But all of his opposition will be concentrated in his opposition against the saints of the Most High, the church, us, people of God. Prepare yourselves for what's coming. Prepare your children and your grandchildren for the days of which Daniel speaks in his vision. Prepare them, but don't frighten them. Because although the power of these beasts and of the final beast is great, although they will wear out the saints, it will seem as though they prevail. They and he will not. There and his destruction is sure. That destruction is described in verses 9 through 12. It's late. I won't read the passage. Please do so. Later on today or this week, note in those verses the certainty of the defeat of the beast. But I will read verses 26 and 27. But the judgment shall sit, that's God, on his judgment seat. And they shall take away, God shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to whom? To the people 
of the saints, of the Most High, whose kingdom? Not the beast's kingdom, but whose kingdom? Is an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. The kingdom will be taken away from Antichrist. He will be slain. His dead body will be given to the burning flame. Verse 11. And his days are numbered. A time. Time. And half a time. Not one second more. Not one day more. His end has been determined by God. Not only will the Antichrist be destroyed in his kingdom, taken from him, but the kingdom will be given unto him who is the Son of Man, and to the saints. Verses 13 and 14. This is the ultimate explanation for the ruin of the Antichrist. God has not given him the kingdom, but God has given the kingdom to our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has died for us, is risen for us, who is now seated at God's right hand, the one who is coming as the judge. To him, all powers, all principalities are subject. They were defeated principally at the cross. Now already, his foot is on their neck. They do his will. One day, he will cast them aside and destroy them, giving the kingdom to his son. And to the saints. Our calling. Our calling in the light. Of what we learned from Daniel 7. Our calling is not to be afraid. Our calling is first of all. Not to put these events off. Far, far in the future. We don't need to worry about them. Or think about them. No. As Paul says. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. The stage is being set. We can see that ourselves. We can see that in the events that are taking place before our very eyes. We can see that all things are in place. As God has determined and that Antichrist is on the horizon. Our calling in the second place is not to fear, but to be confident 
Oh, we're tempted to be afraid. My grandchildren, they're the ones I worry about. I mustn't. And you mustn't. Because our Lord Jesus Christ reigns. He will preserve them. He will preserve the saints. He will keep them. Even in the dark days of Antichrist, he will keep them until he comes again. And then finally, our calling is to fight. Our calling is to stand for the defense of the great truths that Antichrist hates and rejects, especially the truth that our Lord Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. His will is the will that we will honor for him, the one who died for us. We will stand. The calling is urgent. Stand and fight. Then, when the kingdom of Antichrist is destroyed and the kingdom of Christ is established, his everlasting heavenly kingdom, we may be sure of a place in that kingdom. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for our Lord Jesus Christ, for the surety of his kingdom and his reign now over everything that happens in time and history and ultimately when the man of sin ascends to his throne, may we be sure that the power the scepter has been given, not to Antichrist, but to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.